0: Are you doing that on purpose? Or can't you make up your mind?
1: That's the trouble. I can't make up my mind. I haven't got a brain. While the All scarecrow the in The Wizard of Oz was hopeful that one day by acquiring a brain, he'd be able to I have a chat with the flowers.
0: Confirm with the flowers, consult and with the rain.
1: Or just enjoy cognitive thought. Realistically speaking, his chances of getting a brain were pretty slim. And would have been even slimmer should there have been no wizard to grant him such. That perhaps the yearning for a heart for the Tin Man was somewhat more of an achievable goal. Given in the late 60s, we performed the first heart transplants. It's unclear whether you can register as an organ donor in the land of Oz, and more among a realm populated by anthropomorphic beings, melting witches and flying monkeys. It's doubtful there were suitable organs to be transplanted. But flash forward to the present, nearly 120 years on from L. Frank Baum's original classic, The Wonderful Wizard of Oz, and 80 years ago with the film that followed... Technology has changed immensely. And fortunately, for most probably the Tin Man... Oh, are you all
0: right? I'm afraid I'm a little rusty.
1: He wouldn't need bank on a heart transplant. But could maybe, if he was so lucky, have his very own heart printed... ..through 3D printing.
0: Oh, it feels wonderful
1: kidneys, hearts, brains, our printing aspirations are high, and the technology is ready. But are we ready for the technology? This is Think Health, I'm Jake Morecambe.
0: If you think about it in terms of a t-shirt, you have your standard small, medium, large sizes, but the surgeon will have to you know, try to find the one that best suits um, your particular
1: trauma site. In 2018, keeping our goals current, the biggest potential for 3D printing is in developing bone implants and things like bone screws, including anything from... Orthopedic implants, um, bone replacement, dental implants, cranial implants... But the way things work now, these are all made by a small handful of manufacturers and tend to come as standardised fits. As Josh Chow from the School of Life Sciences at the University of Technology Sydney says, it's pretty much a small, medium, large sort of model.
0: We all know that not one size fits
1: all. This is where 3D printing can change the game, because with the technology to craft from scratch customised nuts and bolts and implants, A perfect fit can be made just for you. It's kind of like shopping for a t-shirt, getting a
0: tailor-made shirt, versus a bulk sizing.
1: 3D printers are already being utilised in other industries, in other parts of manufacturing and design, and typically the tech looks like a larger than average printer, but instead there's a section hollowed out in the middle where you make your mould. And they also function pretty similarly to your inkjet printer, where instead of placing in a plastic ink cartridge, you put in your materials, typically in a liquid form, and they'll print out your design layer by layer. Given the tech is becoming more and more sophisticated, the cost itself can be prohibitive, where according to Josh, they can cost anywhere between the 250 to 500k mark. But in the hospital environment today, this is how they're being used. A patient presents a trauma. So the first step is to take a CT scan. From that point on, how do we get
0: him or her an implant, for example, at the least amount of time?
1: And from there, the scan goes into some sort of design software. And it's actually the design of these devices that separates them from the old ones where the level of intricacy and detail in their coarseness shape and structure is nanoscopic.
0: So what we're leaning more towards is your natural bone structure. Now before 3D printing became available this is not possible. But right now we're able to 3D print down to the tens of microns similar to the
1: bone matrix structures. If we're Printing a bone implant, how long would that take?
0: It will obviously depend on the dimensions and size, but I would say like a day. I think a day is a safe estimate.
1: Optimising cost and the time it takes to print a bone implant or necessary organ is where the focus is currently honed. But also understanding how these implants interplay within the body.
0: Of course, we're still trying to figure that out, um, but in terms of how your body reacts to these materials, I think that's that's not really a big concern. Because a lot of these materials are already being used clinically, um, it's just manufacturing it differently.
1: Titanium alloy is the typical material used in implants, but Josh says 3D printing presents an opportunity to experiment. So we're talking about biocompatible material, materials with
0: different stiffness. You can go all the way from, you know, carbon fiber hardness to all the way to like a
1: soft, flexible material. The technology has matured to the point where now we're in a position of power to use different materials to design and print things we never thought imaginable, including things like prosthetic limbs. But as the technology has advanced, The regulation safeguarding what we can print or what we should be printing continues to fall short.
2: What's interesting about the current regulation system is that the devices that we print are generally considered to be more one-off rather than mass-produced. That being the case, there's actually a little bit of a, a loophole, I guess you
1: could call it. Where prior to 3D printing, these implants were designed and made by a small handful of manufacturers, Richard Matthews from the University of Adelaide says, as we begin to print them instead, under the current framework, these devices aren't subject to the same stringent regulation and testing, meaning potentially high-risk products could make their way into the market.
2: What's involved in those regulatory tests? It's basically to ensure that a product's going to be fit for purpose. So if you've got a a hip replacement, you want to make sure that you're not going to be going in every five years for a new hip replacement, right? I think, for example, knees can only be replaced twice. Once you've had two knee reconstructions, you can't have another one. So if you're getting these items replaced, you want to ensure that they're actually going to live up and provide a better quality of life. So if we have an item which is not going to meet up to the stringent uh, wear and tear of what the human body can actually do on these, these joints, for example then they need to obviously not pass and not be put on the market. There was a good example a few years back where uh, there was a joint that was um, pulled off of the market because there were metal shavings that were being created during the wear and tear process. Now, this is a big deal from 3D printing perspective because obviously every item is made up layer by layer. Now, if there is a problem with layer adhesion, obviously these layers can literally peel apart and... That's a point of failure. So you want to ensure that these products aren't going to be doing that inside the human body. The
1: concern also is that should one of these devices fail or have a negative impact on the body, who is legally responsible?
2: Yeah, this is the really big question. As far as I'm concerned, there's no clear answer to this at the moment. And this is one of the issues that needs to be addressed. Um, There are so many different points of uh, failure now in these systems. You've got, obviously, the printers themselves. Um, So you've got the people that operate the printers, but you've then also got the designers. So the people that actually make the designs that then pass them to the files that then are uploaded to the printers in order to manufacture the goods. If it's obviously a design fault, then obviously the people manufacturing these shouldn't be held responsible. It should be pushed back to the designers themselves. However, if it's something that's gone wrong with the actual printing process, then obviously the people that are printing them in situ, then obviously they should be liable. But if a doctor has prescribed this item in a manner that it wasn't really designed for, then maybe they should be held responsible.
1: How also would you then determine at what point something went wrong? Is that process
2: transparent? At the moment, I don't think it is purely and simply because we don't collect enough information regarding it. And this is one of the things that I think the new framework should and will address, I hope.
1: In November last year, the Therapeutic Goods Administration kicked off a review calling for submissions as to how we should regulate personalised 3D medical devices from this point forward. Making sure they're subject to the same sort of testing, Richard says, is one important area. But another is accounting for not just the printing of implants and prosthesis, but to the potential to print pharmaceuticals, which does have some positives.
2: One of the advantages of 3D printing pharmaceuticals in this point is also for surgery. Uh, Rather than getting a patient to take, say, uh, non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs after the fact, we can actually print them directly onto the uh, implant to go inside the body, so therefore the drugs are being administered directly at the site that they're needed to be rather than going through the entire body itself.
1: The concern being, however, without tighter regulation, theoretically people could print their own pharmaceuticals in their own homes. And while this may sound like a good idea to some, unsafely concocting pharmaceuticals to print in your own home with no pharmacist present could do more bad than good. Richard says, though, in the right hands, this could help solve issues relating to access, particularly for regional communities.
2: If we think of into the not-too-distant future, where we have these devices where we can literally print anything at the push of a button, uh, just from patterns, effectively code, and access to just some very stable base components, we could literally live almost anywhere so what we start seeing now is the supply chains completely disappear. Your supply chain is literally an internet connection. So rather than going to the drugstore to buy a box of paracetamol for example, you literally just print your paracetamol.
1: What's one of the most outlandish things that you've heard
2: as a 3D printing prospect? Uh, The fact that we're never going to die now because we can just literally print every single organ in the human body and as they fail, we just keep replacing them. Combined with machine learning and, and other sorts of advances in that area, we just transfer our consciousness from one body to another. So yeah, it's not too far away at all.
1: Coming up next, those under the most pressure in the 3D printing revolution. Hospitals.
3: And that's the problem. We see these technology booms happening. There was one in the early 90s. I was actually part of that. I've been in theatres for 25 years, so I've seen... I've seen these patterns.
1: When minimally invasive practices during surgery became commonplace in the hospital.
3: Probably very simplistic stuff now, but so, you know, a lot of arthroscopic work, scopes, scope work.
1: Judy Smith, nurse and fellow within the Faculty of Health at the University of Technology, Sydney, says it wasn't just the tech that changed.
3: So, you know, it was great for the patients. It meant that, you know, what normally would be a long procedure with a big cut, Um, was a much quicker procedure with a couple of stab sites.
1: But the entire hospital practice.
3: It takes time to understand how all that works. And then also knowing the surgical procedures that go with it as well. So surgical procedures change. So not only the surgeons are having to change their surgical procedures and learn the new techniques, so do nursing staff as well.
1: And when these new tech are suddenly thrust into their workplace.
3: We don't know yet what our involvement will be. And that You know, is the surgeon going to say to us, oh, you know, nurse, whip me up a femur and we have to run up the back and press a button? We don't know, and that's the thing we don't know. Who is responsible for what?
1: Although 3D printing is on its way to bring about massive change for the healthcare industry... They're coming. Judy says we have a lot to do and consider before we see them utilised to their full potential in the hospital environment.
3: The problem is, we don't have the infrastructure to support it. A lot of this technology is remote or, you know, like via Bluetooth or um, wireless. And we certainly don't have the internet capacity to safely be able to use this kind of technology yet. So, until that improves and systems can be in place so that things don't shut down or, or stop, that's part of the infrastructure.
1: The other part is where will these printers go? For both spatial and regulatory reasons, it's ideal that the printer have its own room within the hospital.
3: You don't want to have a unit like that in an operating theatre with a patient, say, who may have some sort of infectious disease in case the machinery gets contaminated. So where else would you put it?
1: For hospitals already in operation, this would mean a complete redesign of the floor plan, figuring out where they would go and how far away they'd be from the operating theatre. And Judy says for old hospitals, this rebuild may not be possible.
3: There would have to be a a very convincing financial argument to have hospitals rearrange theatre complexes to be able to accommodate this. So it would need to have to generate a really good profit to do that.
1: However, before thinking about profits from printing... The money would need initially go into the education and restructuring of hospital staff to know what they're going to do. But at the same time, this can create...
3: Stress. It's got a new term called technology stress. On one end you have surgeons, the other end you have the rep that's the expert that's responsible for the equipment. In the middle you got nurses. But it's, it's a continuum and no one really knows where their responsibility starts and ends. And I've seen that time and time again in theatres when we'll have, a say, a specific piece of equipment that might be new and one surgeon will, will expect the company rep to be there before the case helping set up the equipment, staying throughout the procedure to assist the nursing staff and the surgical staff throughout the procedure and then staying at the end to help with maybe taking the equipment down. And then you'll have another surgeon who only expects that rep to turn up at like the most crucial part of the operation, say, when an implant's going on or in or something. So that creates a lot of confusion.
1: And not only that, there most likely will have to be the introduction of a completely new role in the printing process, of which some are calling it the biotechnician, the middle person between the surgeons and the scanners, who helps operate the printing technology and optimise the design of the implant or prosthesis. And aside from finding the funds to staff this person...
3: You're bringing someone who's not trained in the healthcare industry into an aseptic sterile environment and expecting them to be part of that multidisciplinary team. So you've got that whole perspective again of, you know, bringing someone in. I mean, we have technicians in other things, like when we do bypass surgery, you know, they, they look after the, um, the bypass machines. Definitely initially there is going to have to be somebody involved.
1: In the past, Judy says this role has sometimes been filled by the representatives from the company that makes the technology, of which hasn't always worked out.
3: You know, and I have talked to many company reps and they feel the same stress that we do because they don't know where their role and responsibility starts and ends either. Like, how much do they get involved? You know, at what point do they step back and say, now it's your turn?
1: What prompts figuring that out? What brings us to that point where it's like, okay, well, the nurses are doing this, the surgeon's doing that. How do we get to that point? Well,
3: it's patient safety. You know, technology is great, but if you're not sure what you're doing, technology can be dangerous. So everything we do comes back to patient safety. So as soon as you introduce any new technology into any environment, everybody who uses that technology has a responsibility to know what they're doing. And it's not enough just to have a company rep come in and give a 20-minute in-service and there's been plenty of um, incidences overseas where technology has been used incorrectly and it's actually led to patient harm. And, you know, hospitals have been sued, surgeons have been sued, um, nurses have been implicated and, and all because there wasn't enough support around education, around understanding how to use that equipment and therefore when the equipment was malfunctioning, they weren't able to recognise that it was malfunctioning because they didn't understand the equipment properly. And there was a case in the UK where a lady suffered a third-degree burn because a piece of technology wasn't used properly. And it's not enough to say, well, I think I know what I'm doing. We need to know what we're doing. Or else we have no right, yeah, we just shouldn't be doing it.
1: kind of interesting to think like maybe in a couple of decades it's like oh 3d printing no yeah.
3: big deal like, like- yeah press plate. yeah <laughs> <laughs> and it probably will be like you know i think about you know when laparoscopic surgery first came out minimally invasive surgery it was a big deal back then it was stressful but now you know it's like yeah you know it's like when we all first got mobile phones it was such a big deal and now it's like yeah whatever You know, I've put to, to colleagues and, you know, when I've done seminars and things, where's it going to end? Like, I, I, you know, in 20 years' time, what is our environment going to look like? Are we going to recognise it, you know? I mean, we've got the technology now to do remote surgery. So the surgeon can be in Sydney, but the surgery is taking place in Tamworth using the robots. But, you know, what's holding us back is that infrastructure. We just don't have that... Yet to be able to safely say, "Yep, we can do this."
1: Maybe one day the remote surgery is actually taking. Oh well, it's being done on Earth and it's taking place in space. Yeah, yeah,
3: absolutely. They're, yeah, why not?
1: Some of the square roots of any two sides of an isosceles triangle is equal to the square root of the remaining side. Oh, John. I've
0: got a brain!
1: that's it for think health today if you enjoyed the show and are not already don't forget to subscribe you can find us on itunes or wherever you get your podcasts you just need to search for think health also have a website 2 ser.com forward slash think health jump on there and you can listen to some previous episodes this show is made possible with the support of Two S ser radio the university of technology sydney and is heard around australia via the community radio network My name's Jake Morecambe and thanks for listening.